rural hospitals operate in an environment distinctly different from their urban and suburban counterparts, so issues like the state economy, healthcare workforce shortages, and more have to be addressed head-on. So, how do rural hospitals work to engage state government to advocate for their communities? With long-term relationship building, direct communication, and a constant ear to the ground. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hutshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 49 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hutshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So, Rachel, in rural healthcare, we're always looking, you know, at the landscape. Uh, we have to. Uh, it's not just looking at the rural health landscape. It's looking at the landscape all around us. Uh, it's working with our elected officials, uh, which is really a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, last year we had our state rep uh, in this studio to discuss the rural issues that are impacting rural health and rural communities. And so it's great to have him back again today for an update in 2022. That's right. We are on a roll here because for the third week in a row, we have a return guest with us. And this time it is State Representative Andrew Fink representing us right here in District 58 in Michigan. Hi, Rachel. Hi, JJ. Thanks a lot for having me back. So, Representative Fink, for those who missed episode 15 when you were on before and are meeting you for the first time, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at the State House? You're a little over a year in now, right? That's right. I got elected in 2020 and have been serving since January 1st of last year. Uh, so, I guess we're exactly a year and a month today. And uh, uh, I was raised a little closer to Detroit, came out to this area uh, to go to Hillsdale College in 2003. Uh, met my wife here, and she and I have been bouncing back and forth ever since. A uh, little bit of time in the Marine Corps practicing law there, um, and opened my law office in 2017 in Hillsdale. And uh, Lauren and I have five kids we're raising now out on a little bit of land outside of town, but uh, previously had lived just across the street from the hospital here. So uh, Hillsdale is uh, is the community we call home, and I'm always excited to get a chance to talk with you guys about what's going on at our hospital. It's always great to have you here. And, you know, Hillsdale College, a great place. You and I both graduated there. You came much, much later than I did. Uh, But what was your major? Politics. Politics, of course. JJ, what was your major? Uh, Political economy. Yeah, you know, (laughs) politics. Uh, And your wife also went Hillsdale College. Yes. And what was her major? Uh, she was an English major, and she participated in the journalism program. Played volleyball. Did she was probably a little more of a of a, a little less of a nerdy college student, a little more active across the curriculum. You might think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, you also have a law practice here in Hillsdale. Yeah, I've pretty much hung it up, but um, uh, I had an office of of the firm I I practiced with since getting out of the Marines in 2014. Uh, which is called Fink and Fink. My partner's my dad, my cousin, and my uncle. Uh, and so I, I had my own office uh, downtown Hillsdale for a few years. But I found pretty quickly, you know, some some people who get elected uh, to the state legislature are able to keep some kind of a business going. And, and some of the lawyers do find time to practice. I found that I couldn't be the kind of rep that I wanted to be uh, and take care of my clients at the same time. And very early on. Hard. I mean, it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I just determined I wasn't going to do a good enough job for my constituents or my clients, and I will say as it, as uh, what I felt happening was that I was I was becoming di- more difficult to get a hold of for my clients, um, and wasn't being as responsive, and so it really only took about six weeks of of kind of trying to have a, a foot in both camps for me to decide this was not going to work, and I started to really wind things down and and. Uh, uh, 
focus 100% on the state rep job as quickly as possible. So I had, I had to kind of learn that lesson the hard way, but yeah. I did learn it. Yeah. I think it was 2006 that I met the uh, first Mr. Fink, uh, your father. It was at a uh, Tim Wahlberg picnic and uh, your dad was there. And yeah. your dad was actually, was it 06? I'm not sure. It, it was a year I think your dad was transitioning from law enforcement into into the legal practice. It, yeah. You probably would have met him in 06 because that's when I was working for Tim. So you and I met, yeah. met back then that's too. Right. Uh, I was on his campaign right after I graduated. Right. from Hillsdale. Right. Dad retired from Washtenaw County as a sheriff's officer in 1998. Now, your dad was yeah. a commander. He was, yeah. Yeah, and he was over which division, do you remember? Yeah, uh, he was the commander of the law enforcement or police services yeah, division. I yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Because I was uh, in law enforcement and his name uh, certainly lived on for quite a while. Yeah, he had started as a jail deputy, but when he became a commander, he, I think, lucky for him, was not the jail commander. That seems like yeah. an even bigger headache. It is. I, mean, I guess it's either herding cats or, uh, <laughs> yeah. or, I mean, you're herding cats either, either you direction. Are. You it's really either, are. <laughs> you're, you're keeping track of a few hundred inmates or uh, yeah. a few dozen deputies. Yeah, at least at you time. get them, you know, you know where they're at that way. Yeah, you know? that's right. Yeah. Well, Andrew, it's always a pleasure to have you here. So now that we've established who you are and uh, what you do, let's start with the why. We do this on every episode so our listeners get to know you just a little bit better. Uh, so today, uh, why don't you share with us, what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? Why do you do what you do? I, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to think about something that that's so instinctual. But when I try to articulate it, I mean, certainly with regard to politics or, or even just going to work before. You know, I have five kids. Uh, Lauren and I are, are, are raising uh, five kids ages 12 through four. Bless your heart. And uh, it, it it's not just like, you know, I don't want them to be hungry, so I go to work. Yeah. Uh, but, but there is that. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you should go to work and take <laughs> right. care of your family. Right, that's basic yeah, that's a, That is a basic, it yeah, is. it's a basic principle of, of uh, yeah. fatherhood, I right. think. But what kind of work are, are, are you trying to do? In my case, you know, um, I, I just, I, I have a concern that the, the America, the American Republic that my kids are going to kind of take over from my generation, your generation, maybe a half generation ahead of, uh, of mine, JJ, not a whole, not okay, a whole generation yeah, right, ahead of mine, right. but half generation. I'm 47. I can admit it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my, my concern is that we're not going to give them the kind of place that we could. Yeah. Uh, we're going to give them a place where, um, they're, they're really, they're asked to do less as citizens than they should be asked to do. And that means that they also have less uh, freedom to uh, kind of pursue the lives that God has laid out for them than, than they otherwise would. And then they should. So, and it's not just them. I mean, it's not just my five kids. It's, Mm -hmm. it's this whole place. And it's a big challenge um, to, to think about what, what can we do to positively affect, you know, the politics of our country so that it will be, uh, it will be as good of a of a place as it can be for the next generation. Um, I mean, there's 335 million Americans, and it it really does take a lot more than me or you or the, you know the three of us talking or all the listeners on this podcast. It's a big project, but I just kind of uh, had the realization that if I didn't step in and do whatever I could, uh, I would regret it. You know, if things didn't turn out well and I hadn't raised my hand and said, "I'll I'll I'll serve, I'll do it." Uh, I would, I would never forgive myself. So that's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. You know, Andrew, and that's uh, I want you to know, Rachel, it's from his heart. Um, oh, you can tell. You can tell. I know that uh, you you've had a successful uh, law practice. You could make a whole heck of a lot more money. Uh, we know that you could probably have a lot less headaches, a lot less uh, bloggers. You know, a lot uh, more like, sleep what, what, that we face, and certainly more sleep. But but you know, I've witnessed you as a patriot. 
I've witnessed you as a father. I've had a chance to be around you for that. Uh, and now as my representative. And in all three of those, you're stellar. So I want to thank you for your contribution. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Uh, having a leader like you who's in touch with me, you know, that's you're, you're, you're texting me, hey, what's going on? Is there anything we can do to help? Uh, that's rare. It really is. And I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate what you do for Hillsdale. So um, I can see the passion. It is an important why in your life. Um, having served in the military, I think first and foremost, you know uh, the value of human life. You know the importance of protecting human life, and I think that has carried you well. Uh, and I want to thank you for that contribution for our community. Well, thank you, JJ. It's very kind. So let's start by uh, talking about the economy. Uh, we know the pandemic has had a significant impact on uh, the economy in this world, uh, and we're now two years in. And so where do we stand here in Michigan from your perspective compared to where we were uh, maybe just even a year ago? You know, you've had a chance to study maybe some past budgets and you've looked at where we were, you know, for economies and uh, what's going on today. I still have concern and we might have talked about this a year ago. I, I don't remember, but I still have some concern that we don't really know where we are because there is still uh, certainly in terms of I mean, this, so take the state revenue, the state budget. Uh, for the second year in a row, the report is once they kind of, you know, the, the guys with the green eye shades get their calculators and abacus is out and whatever, they think mm -hmm. there's more money than they than they were going to expect. You know, their mm -hmm. expectation was X and they wind up with Y or X plus or whatever. I'm not I'm not much of a math guy. Yeah, we're <laughs> politics. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so we, we had a budget of a little over $70 billion last year, which is a pretty significant increase over 2020. Um, so... Uh, you know, the FY 2020 budget, I should say. So we're in the middle of, of, of the biggest budget the state's ever had. Some of that is because of the federal spending, mm -hmm. um, which uh, we can get into if you want to. I don't obviously control it, but I do have some opinions about it. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it, it is also the result, I mean, the, the, in, the, the more money than we expected is also the result of, of the economy just not really suffering exactly the same way we, we kind of, you would have expected if, if you had known, you know, in say 2019, what would happen in 2020. You might have expected revenues to go down for a variety of reasons, and they didn't. I mean, I, I, I think some of it is is attributable just to just the fact that um, the the sales economy. We, we get a lot of money from our sales tax, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know the consumer economy really didn't slow down, except in ways that it was kind of you know forced to supply the supply chain issues, that kind of thing. But right. people kept spending a lot of money, mm -hmm. uh, and we get a lot of money from property taxes, mm -hmm. and property values are up. Not mm -hmm. down. So mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a little bit unexpected, you know. Again, if you if you had a time machine and you told somebody uh, what not two full twenty two months ago, you know, in the midst of the initial shutdown, and by the way, the the state's not going to suffer a revenue dip. That would yeah. have been a surprise to somebody, right? Mm -hmm. So I still don't really feel like we know we're on solid ground in terms of expectations. Mm -hmm. um, Andrew, can I interrupt here now? Yeah. Uh, so there was these federal pass through funds that came in, right? And then there was, I think, some priorities the governor had, priorities that your you had, the House had, the Senate had. Have have those been worked out? That's a great question. I mean, some of that money has been spent, but not all of that money. Okay. I don't remember now off the top of my head sure. uh, where we're at. But there are billions of dollars that's that are appropriated state still left to be appropriated. Okay, yeah, Very good. appropriated by Congress to us that we have not appropriated right. out to the to their the final state. destination. Right. So, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and so so some of that money it remains unspent as of today. So talk a little bit about growing economies. You know, obviously, 
Um, we know that uh, all forms of government are local, and it's important to support local government in terms of building an infrastructure, uh, building your economics, building your community. Um, there's been some focus. I know that you have uh, been part of allocating funds, both grant dollars to Hillsdale. I know that you were part of uh, some involvement with the Kiefer House, I believe. Uh, I know that you were, um, at least at some level, you were involved in that. So what do you see for those type of activities in small rural communities? And and obviously, around the country when they're listening to this podcast, how can we reclaim our local communities like mm-hmm. that? What, what would, and I know it's a loaded question and one which it wasn't <laughs> even prescribed in the, uh, the questions that we here. gave you. But <laughs> honestly, when you think about that, investing back in the communities, I think it's important. Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's related. I mean, it really, it's, it's just, a, it's a, it's a portion of something that's been on my mind a lot lately. And it, it actually a completely, an issue that seems to be non-economic is kind of what brought this into, into clarity in my mind a, a month or two ago, we we appropriated some money for um, uh, to to increase the availability of school resource officers across the state. Mm-hmm. So, for anybody who's unfamiliar with that, um, you, well, everybody's familiar with it. They just don't know. We call it a school resource sure. officer, but basically mm-hmm. a police officer at a typically at a high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, in larger area, or, you know, more populated areas of the state, it's not uncommon for the school district to pay half a salary or even an entire salary to have a police officer who's essentially their their primary point and place of duty is uh, a high school during the course of a school day. Mm-hmm. Well, that works fine if you're a school district. Uh, I mean. Uh, uh, a school district with a few hundred thousand people yeah. in it, or even or even just a few tens of thousands sure. people in it. I don't have that. You don't, right? I, I've got thirteen, I think, public high schools in in my district. Mm-hmm. Uh, all different. There's there, none of my school districts have multiple high schools, right? right? So I've, when right. I say thirteen high schools, I mean thirteen, 13 districts, districts. Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, plus a few charters and a few private schools and all that kind of stuff. So I don't have more than maybe one, maybe two high schools that that would have the funding to contribute to say even a half day of a school resource officer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or half of the, you know, of a full-time employee there. Uh, how are we going to take advantage of that funding for school resource officers when I've got schools like Camden Frontier, yeah. um, right. Waldron playing eight man football? I yeah. mean, just mm-hmm. a few hundred students. Right. Think about, think yeah. about that connection. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know the answer to that yet. I mean, because it's, we're just going to take extra coordination. So you take this 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 project that's already more of a challenge, and then you essentially say, and then you're going to have to do more work to even participate in it because mm-hmm. it doesn't just fit on, you know, it doesn't map mm-hmm. onto the kind of stereotype. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a long-winded way of saying this is, it's a related problem. What's going to happen as our state's economy, which has been functionally stagnant for many decades, um, the the, the the statistics I lean on here are you know our our uh, congressional delegation uh, peaked in 1970 1980 we mm-hmm. had uh, 19 congressmen and now we're going to have 13 districts right mm-hmm. so that's about a 40 yeah. percent decrease in uh, in or or I should say uh, that that would be 40 more percent of what we have right now yeah. right the, the yeah. power that we have with regard to national policy yeah. has decreased. Decreased significantly. Similarly, in the last 20 years, our GDP as a state has gone from about 3.5% to, to more like 2.7%, I think, of this. So that's another mm-hmm. major decrease in economic power in, uh, for our state. True. 
And that's only exacerbated. I mean, it's only exacerbated in rural communities. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that's important to understand is, of course, the agricultural, you know, lifestyle uh, has changed, but that the agricultural economy is still a major part of our area here. Mm -hmm. But if you drive a Dodge pickup truck, then your muffler was made in our, in Hillsdale County. And if you have a Ford Explorer, then the inside of your door that moves the window up and down was made in Hillsdale County. Right. I mean, we're part of this. I have a Ford Explorer. So, see? Cool. Parts made in Hillsdale. Right. Yeah. And, uh, 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 what that means is that the the overall Michigan economy, I mean that 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 the auto industry and all of those kind of flagship things that happen in our state, those matter here too. Mm-hmm. It's not just mm-hmm. we're not you know we're not we're not only an agricultural economy, sure. although we are that. Sure. You know? So anyway, so so balancing all of this stuff and making sure that these these little industrial parks are not forgotten, making sure that the uh, the the yeah that we have a 21st century economy out mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll. I, I, I promise not to turn this into a a, a, a total food fight, but our governor twice vetoed um, uh, broadband expansion mm-hmm. attempts that we're making. I mean, we need mm-hmm. that Devastating. because yeah. we're, Devastating. we're out here already. It's all we're oh. already out, you know, farther away from the center huh. of economic sure. growth. If we're going to do that, we at least need to have the um, communications connectivity, right. you know, sufficient to overcome some of that. Distance. Well, you got to have the infrastructure, or you're never going to re- attract business right. to yeah. come to Hillstown. Right. So right. yeah. So all that's to say, that I don't think there's a there's no magic sure. wand to be waved. But it, it what it actually means is that we've got to dig in probably at, at least as hard as any other kind of mm-hmm. part of the state to to make sure that we take advantage of whatever programs and uh, mm-hmm. and things are available out there. But also that we push the entire state to be innovative and let places yeah. like our uh, like like Hillsdale, like Coldwater grow. Uh, in the way we need them to. Agree. Mm-hmm. We're going to introduce you to a gentleman uh, that's very familiar with Hillsdale College, uh, Eric Doden. And I think that's, uh, we, we're going to send you that episode. Uh, and I think it's going to be important that uh, five or six of us get around a table to discuss those very issues. But we mm-hmm. appreciate your passion in that. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one question I have about all of this, I'm glad you brought up broadband because, and this is also not in our outline here, but um, for us, Telehealth is huge. And from what we can tell at this point, it looks Mm -hmm. like it's staying in terms of reimbursement. And I haven't mentioned this to you yet, JJ, because we haven't had our normal meeting um, earlier today that we would have. But even this weekend, I was just, you know, thinking about one of our service lines that really financially has not been viable on an outpatient basis. But what if we took that entirely telehealth? Then we might actually be able to serve that mm-hmm. population mm-hmm. of patients in our community. So things like broadband, again, are critically important. Um, but as we also look at, you know, economic growth in general, and there's also a question here for JJ that he can kind of get into a little bit as well. But, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges, I think, for economic growth has been workforce. Workforce issues are huge. So what have you, um, you know, been kind of looking at and paying attention to as a state representative in terms of addressing some of those workforce challenges that are, I mean, not just in healthcare, across all industries right now? I thought you were going to ask JJ this tough question. Before. <laughs> <laughs> um, JJ, I meant to ask you that question. Well, you what know, are you? <laughs> it's, uh, no, honestly, like, Rachel, the, the thing about it is is that it is, um, it's in every industry right now. Right. Uh, I got a question on the radio this morning. What about the teacher shortage? Obviously, if you go out to um, uh, any manufacturing, I mean, I don't, I have not yet come across an employer of more than 10 people that doesn't want at least an 11th. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And yes, the, the, 
uh, unemployment, you know, the additional unemployment payments and things that that were present a year ago. And mm-hmm. that that I do think that that was a problem, and it may have been part of kind of a set of conditions, uh, but it was not the only issue. Right. Um, uh, and now you know you're whatever the figure that that people could you know kind of kind of stay home and get paid the equivalent of nineteen dollars an hour or so that's gone down and mm-hmm. there are still jobs out there that are paying nineteen or twenty dollars an there hour is. to to somebody who's uh fresh out of high school right, right. And, that's, right. and that's what the question I always ask when I go mm-hmm. out to these places mm-hmm. if I'm nineteen and I just got out of high school and that's all my education right. I didn't don't have a certification in right. welding or whatever else no trade no college here I am and the answer is like high high teens or well, low twenties sure. mm-hmm. very much so. Which is enough to, uh, which had had been enough, you know, even adjusting for inflation or whatever, to kind of get people in the door. Mm-hmm. That seems to have changed. I don't mm-hmm. really know. I don't know that we really understand exactly uh, why that is, but it is pervasive. And again, it's in every industry. I know you guys can speak to to nurse, nursing shortage mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of that more better than I can. Mm-hmm. So we do have, you know, we do have renewed efforts at skills, you know. Um, I, and I see some some terrific creative stuff. I spent the morning at the the Hudson uh, the Hudson Public Schools has it has this uh, uh, place, the Southern Michigan Center for Science and Industry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. very nice place. It's it's you know it's you can kind of uh, think like a, a career center that you're mm-hmm. used to seeing in an mm-hmm. ISD, but really mm-hmm. they're trying to fill gaps that they the are. ISD career they centers are. aren't doing. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's encouraging. Uh, Getting getting kids the skills they need to get right into the economy when they get out of high school, it, that's awesome. And 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 it's going to be a decentralized, I think, solution because mm-hmm. uh, I really don't think anybody totally understands exactly why we have the kind of workforce challenge we have right now. I do think that that making sure that whatever training and that kind of thing that we're doing, that it's responsive to the desires mm-hmm. of the employers, yeah. that's really important. Mm-hmm. Right. I certainly would would hate to see, and and you sometimes hear politicians talk like this. Our next industry is going to be X, and so we're going to fund this many certification programs mm-hmm. in, in X. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you get that stuff wrong, and you just wasted all You're that done. money. Yeah, right. So and set back decades. Who right. Knows? So if we're going to do kind of workforce training programs, I want it to be strictly responsive to the design. You know, if if so and so says I need welders, then funding welding makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. If so and so says I need something else, then that's what you should be focusing sure. on. So, JJ, speaking of training programs and being responsive to employers, there is a bill in Michigan right now, House Bill 5523, focused on supporting healthcare training programs in particular. And I know that's something we've been tracking very closely. Um, so what's in that bill that as a hospital CEO, you are most excited to see, but also what's not in there? You know, it's uh, there's a lot in there, Rachel. I've had a chance to review that in its entirety and shared with our board of trustees a few weeks ago. Um, a lot of components that, you know, obviously I would support are, you know, geared towards the monoclonal therapies, you know, the administration of those testing mm-hmm, test kits. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's important because right. obviously we've struggled with the monoclonals and we've struggled with uh, test kits. Uh, it also supports the laboratory uh, mm-hmm. in laboratories uh, and it also also makes applications available for uh, individual healthcare agencies like ours mm-hmm. or uh, tech centers. And so they did, you know, this this bill also is a lot about the intermediate school districts mm-hmm. uh, talking about how they're the fiduciary for a lot of these programs uh, in looking at, you know, segues for nursing programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are critical. And so, you know, we've always held a relationship with our local ISD through an allied health program mm-hmm. uh, in recruiting nurses. And you also know that we give out anywhere from two to five scholarships a year. Right. Um, right. Those are very important. But as, you know, as we start to struggle, you know, with our own financial uh, losses, 
services as a healthcare industry, a lot of, you know, around the state of Michigan, a lot of healthcare is looking at how are we going to accomplish this? Right. You know, we can't afford to continue to support 10 or 15 scholarships to Michigan State University, University of Michigan, and these places. So how can we get some of that assistance? And mm-hmm. so what this is, is it's a it's a federal pass-through. About $630 million is mm-hmm. going to be the federal pass-through. I think the state's proposing an allocation of well over 300 and some thousand or 300 million for a total of about a billion dollars that's mm-hmm. going to be applied under this. Um, so that's encouraging to me. And I know, Andrew, you've had a chance to, um, you know, it's obviously still in discussion right now. A lot, it's going to be a lot of debate, I'm assuming. Uh, they, you know, the, the, there's a lot of tasks in here, you know, where the intermediate school districts or the state uh, laboratories or, you know, certain people hold certain responsibilities. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that uh, House bill and maybe there, that implication here to hospitals like mine? Yeah, we did get this bill off the House floor in December, and so it's in the Senate now. Um I think that the the availability of some of these resources in uh, communities that aren't aren't heavily populated mm-hmm. uh, is is definitely part of why that bill was important to, to get out. Agreed. You know, and it's why it was overwhelmingly supported by Agreed. by both parties. Um, and of course, that you know the the lack of resources can either be because uh, of the lack of population center. You know, not being a population yeah. center, being maybe farther away from uh, you know. Uh, we love Hillsdale Hospital, but it is not this, on the same scale as, yeah. you know, whatever major hospital sure. system you want to compare it to, right? Sure. So mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. terms of the economies of scale, we're always going to be kind of going, what about us right. to some right. degree, right? right. Uh, when you've got a scarce resource yeah. availability um, and and when the overall idea is, you know, whatever it happens to be now, you know, we hear get shots in arms or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have as many arms. And so we're going to have to fight for mm-hmm. whatever attention we're going to get on on whatever the issue is. Um, so I, I, I guess that's what I see as, as the important thing is just kind of getting yeah. what uh, what you might call an equitable distribution of some of these resources, sure. resources across the state. Because, you know, U of M is presumably going to find a way to get whatever mm-hmm. the new treatment technology, et cetera, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Uh, in, in ways that we don't necessarily have the ability to do if we don't kind of leverage the issue as a, as a statewide kind of community. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Andrew, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about workforce development. And uh, I'm, I'm going to give props to uh, Governor Snyder. Uh, he started uh, really, he, what he wanted to do is create uh, collaboratives. Um, and he brought communities together and he formed uh, through those collaboratives. And, and I'm actually a board member of uh, Michigan Works. And so we're in the Southeast District. Um, but, you know, they've really just taken the state of Michigan and divided it and said, all right, each of these segues, uh, each of these communities are going to make sure that they have programs available for their re- resources for their schools. Um, so looking at that, you know, I also have to give props to, to Governor Whitmer uh, for her uh, contribution back to uh, workforce development. I think it's been important. W- what is your position on um, workforce development? And have you had any experience in touring? You know, you toured, you said this morning, um, have you had a chance to tour any like nursing programs or law enforcement programs or any of that nature? And and what do you, what do you think about that coming from the state in terms of those resources that pass through? That's a, that's a really good question. I'm trying, and I'm trying to separate, you know, other times I've been in, in some places like that. Like I, you know, I participated in a chamber leadership program some years ago, and so I think I saw uh, part of um, the University of Michigan's kind sure. of uh, you know, met some some nurses and doctors yeah. kind of coming up yeah. through the ranks there. 
I don't think since I've been the rep, I've I've gotten out and done something like that. And a similar answer on on like the law enforcement uh, side. I've obviously been we already talked about. I've been around law enforcement for yeah. a long time. Have yeah. have great relationships there. Um, I don't. We don't have an academy in my district, so I haven't no. you know usually no. haven't haven't gotten a call to something like that. But but mm-hmm. would be excited to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, my approach to workforce development is um, I guess my my approach to kind of all aspects of economic development. What role can the state play? And if you'll allow me to be a little bit of a nerd, uh, I I think back to Abraham Lincoln. When he ran for the state house, I think he was 28 years old, ran for the state house in Illinois. And he essentially ran on a single issue. And it was straightening out the Sangamon River, which uh, was the river running through his area. I think he lived in the town of Sangamon maybe, but uh, or Sangamon County, can't remember. But the, the the point is the river had all these switchbacks. And so a trip that could by distance only take maybe one day took like three days mm-hmm. or four days mm-hmm. because you're going back and forth and there's you know trees in the way and whatever. And the state was really the only entity that could come in and do that. Right. Um, and the nice thing about that form of economic development is everybody got richer uh, nobody knew who would, would benefit from it. Everybody mm-hmm. had the opportunity, I should say, to get richer. And so when you're talking about infrastructure, the rural broadband issue, it, it, it's an issue that the state can can involve itself in and, and find a, a more efficient solution um, than uh, many individual mm-hmm. solutions might, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as the state is responsible about its engagement there. And so in workforce development, I guess, again, I'd say the same thing. If the state's responding... Uh, to to the needs of the economy um, and finding ways to allocate resources at a, at a level that is appropriate for the state that no one else can really do, then the state, I think, can be a contributor there. Uh, if the state treats workforce development as its own, you know, as kind of the administration's uh, social experiment, that's where I think we get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess an example would be in the early or mid uh you know, 2000s, uh, there was this idea from the Granholm administration that Michigan was going to be the battery capital of the world. And, and I think actually there was also sort of a, an attempt to address maybe maybe what was then a brewing issue of, of uh, nursing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And ni- neither of those projects worked. Uh, so the state kind of predicting what's going to happen, I think, is a mistake. But the state being there to support in a general way, whatever mm-hmm. it is that happens to be going yeah. on, that's what I like to see. I, I do like their regional approach you know, that uh, Snyder set up because, you know, my region is totally different than Detroit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's very important. Uh, yeah. And the UP, you might say, right? I mean, right. much, much yeah. different. There, right. there are ways in which I find my district is, is I sometimes find kind of a lot of comradeship in talking to the guys who represent yeah. the districts of North because those districts are huge. Right. You know, I'm the, I'm the only rep uh, this far South with two counties. I think South of Clare, I'm the only representative mm-hmm. who has two whole counties in mm-hmm. his district. Mm-hmm. So there are ways in which kind of these large spread out areas, you know, I share a lot, but then again, you can't grow like a single ear of corn in the UP because yeah. the ground's made out of metal, you know? So yeah. it, it's, it's very different, uh, even though you, there, there might be some kind of, um, uh, surface level similarities, yeah. you know, Hey, it's rural, you know, yeah. we mm-hmm. don't have, you know, we don't have a mire in Hillsdale County. Right. So maybe it's, you know, we're a small town, that kind of thing. But in other ways, we're very different from a lot of the rural parts of the state. Mm-hmm. Very much so. A great example of what you were talking about of the workforce development being responsive. We actually just um, received about $37,000 from Michigan Work Southeast specifically for training for our staff. And I wrote that grant this year. And pretty much the process is I ask our managers, hey, what kind of trainings do you need for your team members? Or would you like for 
for your team members. And then as long as those trainings kind of meet the criteria um, in terms of what would qualify, then we submit all of that. And the state says, yep, you can use money for that. And this is how much we're going to give you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, our our radiology department in particular, I have to give a shout out to Jamie Caldwell, yeah. our manager of that department. She's amazing. And she is very good about getting a variety of different types of trainings that are really important for her staff to have and helping them to maintain and advance their skills through a program like this. Um, And, you know, we have the latest state-of-the-art technology when it comes to our MRI, Mm -hmm. um, our mammography. Um, And so she's able to keep her staff up to date on everything. In addition, we currently don't have any certified lactation consultants in our OB department. So thanks to this grant, now... I want to say maybe even 50% of our OB clinical staff are going to be able to go through that process and become certified lactation consultants, which is huge, especially in a community where we do see a higher Medicaid population. Mothers being able to nurse, and I'm biased, I can say that because I'm a nursing mother, Mm -hmm. but mothers being able to nurse, that's an economic impact on their life, right? Formula is incredibly expensive um but it it, it just be, it's an opportunity mother's milk I mean, right it right it's, it's yeah, gotta no. be right yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it, it gives um them an opportunity to be able to continue doing that as long as they're able to and want to and you know feed their child without having to spend the money it costs to feed with formula or something like that so that has a you know the, the long-term impact of those things are huge but that's all based on what we said as a hospital which the managers told me mm-hmm. this is what we mm-hmm. want and then I put that in the grant and told the state hey this is what the training we want to do will you approve all of this and they were like yep and here's the cash I mean there wasn't anything that we um, had applied for trainings that we had applied for funding support for that weren't approved and also there's training for new team members so we're able to get um, I want to say it's about 160 hours, but don't anybody quote me on that, mm-hmm. um, of their wages paid as their new employees, as their training. Um, and as long as we retain them for uh, 30, 60, or 90 days, we'll get a percentage of reimbursement for that. Um, so it's a great program, but it is, you know, just one tool in the toolbox that we're able to use. Well, believe it or not, Andrew, the time is upon us. And as we close today, um, I just want your perspective on what you are most excited about uh, working in the state house right now. Maybe it's a piece of legislation. Maybe it's just the fact that you get to work with uh, great people that are in Hillsdale branch and other counties. Um, but why don't you talk to our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, I, I it is, uh, you know, sometimes you hear people talk like, is, is uh, so-and-so a good district rep or a good Lansing rep? I, I don't really see a point in being good at only one or the other aspect of the job. It's kind of a strange it's, I think it's a strange job where 110 people on Tuesday morning drive in from every corner of the state. Yeah. <laughs> we work together for three days and then we all leave right. and go back to every corner of the state. And, mm-hmm. I, and I get a kick out of it. You know, I love talking yeah. to, to folks who, who drove in from Detroit or the UP or Grand Rapids or, you know, very different different uh, sections of our state and kind of getting that perspective. And that's really how we do problem solving at the state level. I I. I get to talk to the people in Branch County and Hillsdale County and say, here's what's going on. Here's my problem. You know, right now, one of the things I'm kind of harping on when I go up there and talk to our appropriations uh, folks is uh, I don't have deputies on the road at night in Branch County. I know. I think if you were staying at, you know, if you got an Airbnb at Coldwater Lake, you'd probably like there to be a cop available if you Mm -hmm. had something going on. Mm -hmm. Very concerning. You know, so maybe that's an important issue for our whole state that we actually have policing available throughout the state at all times. Um. So yeah, it, it it's it is a cool job, and I do love getting to talk to and and represent the folks in across the district. Um, 
a couple little things. One is kind of a great example of that, of that experience. Um, an employer in town uh, was audited by the unemployment insurance agency, just the random normal, uh, you know, audit employers are, are who fund that agency. And, and uh, it, it functions on a tax, the unemployment insurance tax. Um, and so the audit isn't the problem, but it was about a year ago and the administration staff were all working remotely. Mm. meaning they were not coming on site to conduct the audit. And the upshot of that was, uh, and, uh, and and by the way, employers were also expected to have staff who could work remotely, working remotely. And so uh, this particular employer's staff was lessened as a result. And as this audit's going on, the agencies ask him to send all of this information in electronically. Well, when you're talking about going through financial records uh, of a, you know, relatively small business, you're looking at scanning receipts and mm -hmm. odd shape, you know, mm -hmm. petty cash ledgers oh, yeah. and things yeah. like that, right? Yeah. So it was tens of man hours, um, essentially for the CEO of a small company to have to perform himself because he didn't have anybody else who could do it. Mm -hmm. If he was going to have his accountant do it, well, their, their support staff was also at home right. in accordance with the administration's orders at the time, mm -hmm. meaning he was going to have to pay his accountant, whatever, $195 an hour to sure. scan receipts. That well, it didn't make any more sense than him right. doing himself. So I uh, submitted a bill, uh, which I'm expecting to get a hearing on fairly soon, um, which would just say the Unemployment Insurance Agency can't require you to submit uh, records in a form other than the form they're currently in. So if they want to mm. send you a UPS box, say, drop it in here, put it in the mail, we'll send it back when we're done, that would be fine. Right. Uh, but not, you know, essentially turning employers into their own copy boys. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason I'm excited about that, I mean, it's consistent with a bunch of the other work we've had to do on UIA, which has been a mess. And we could talk about that some other time if you want, because yeah, it's certainly a topic for its own episode. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, and it probably has had a, a effects even on you guys and your staff, I'm sure, some of them mm -hmm. uh, over the last two years. But uh, what I like about that issue is that it's something I wouldn't have known about, except one of my constituents brought it to my attention and we talked about it. And I said, well, do you think you know, do you think this solution would help? He said, it sounds like that would take care of the problem to me. Mm -hmm. It seems very reasonable. I don't, mm -hmm. I, you know, we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. I, Good I don't for you. try not to be in the business predicting other politicians' uh, yeah. decisions. But, <laughs> right. uh, but you know, it's just, it's a it's a great example of kind of why representative government is supposed to work. You know, right. I, I was there for to, to hear what the issue was and he was there to kind of work through it with me. And, and I think we're going to get a good result out of it in the end. And then the other thing I'd say I'm excited to work on is I was the lead sponsor of a, of a bill to form an ethics committee, permanent ethics committee in, in both the house, one in the house, one in the Senate. Um, and a, a a series of follow-on bills, about a 14 or 15 bill uh, package when we introduced it in probably in March of last year um, for reasons that uh, are obvious to anybody who's been reading the newspaper. There's a little increased attention on, on ethics issues. And so I'm, I'm excited to maybe get a little more attention on that package and uh, perhaps get it moved through the Senate so that we can make some structural changes to, to you know, increase uh, the accountability of the representatives and senators that our people elect, you know, to the people. It's going to mm -hmm. be, it, that format is is sort of a self-policing uh, where the the legislature itself would essentially have the formal responsibility of, of doing a better job of being on top of these issues. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's kind of a meta issue. It's not about a particular policy. It's not about partisan politics. It's about doing it the right way. Uh, and so I'm excited to work on that more. Well, Andrew, believe it or not, uh, our time has is, is come, and uh, I want to first of all thank you for joining us today, uh, but also for your contributions to our community. Um, obviously, uh, you have spent a lot of days and nights 
Uh, it places uh, from benefits to bazaars, uh, you name it, you've been there. I didn't think there was a guy that could be as many places as our former rep of quite, quite a while ago, Bruce Caswell, but you've actually accomplished that. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of commitment. You're everywhere. Uh, we appreciate your advocacy, and I'm going to be biased for Hillsdale County and the things that you're doing for healthcare, the things that you're doing for our communities. It's very important. So I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule today to join us uh, on Rural Health Rising. It's been great to have you here, and I wish you nothing but success in the year ahead. Uh, and let's hope it's going to be a better year uh, for our communities as we fight COVID and get rid of that stuff, and we're dealing with some other major issues. I hope that we have have a better 2022 than we did 21. Well, thanks a lot, JJ. And thank you, Rachel. I'm always glad to be on. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach, and you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Michigan State Representative Andrew Fink, serving District 58. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com. Just under a year ago um, that you were here. So this time, again, it's State Rep. Wait, I, I said again because you said it, but then when I got I did. Hang Sorry. On, hang okay. on. Um, we know what we're doing. We promise. Yeah, right. We're really professional. She rocky. Let me just restart this.